The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Glad to be back in this chair talking to you. Appreciate Darren Vaught pinch hitting for me on yesterday's show. The 2021 Masters is underway, and I'll share my rooting interest in a few minutes. But first, the Carolina Panthers continue to be plugging holes in the depth chart, Robert. They wanted an upgrade at quarterback. Boom, here's Sam Darnold. They needed a corner. Last night, they signed A.J. Bouye, who I already think is the best DB on the roster. Maybe we can get to that later. Carolina needs a tight end. They pick up former Cardinal Dan Arnold. But here's a disconnect between, I think, how fans think about football and how I know league execs look at the sport. Many fans believe because the Panthers made moves at quarterback, corner, and tight end, that Carolina won't select a player at number eight who plays any of those positions. Most scouts, I'd even say coaches and execs I've gotten to know over the years, would completely disagree with that. The popular belief in the football community is when you're picking in the top ten, you shouldn't pick off need. Simply pick the best player available and figure out the rest later. That's what I expect Scott Fitterer to do later this month. Take the best player available, even if it's a quarterback. Because Fields and Lance, they could be there. Atlanta doesn't want to pick it for. Cincinnati, Miami, Detroit, they're not taking quarterbacks either. So one, maybe even both those guys could be available at number eight. I'd be interested to know what Daniel Jeremiah thinks. Former app quarterback, lead NFL Network draft analyst he's going to join us on today's show if you don't believe me this is something scott is considering right after the darnold move he made that abundantly clear when he was asked specifically if you think darnold could be your franchise quarterback why wouldn't that disclude you from taking one at eight because i don't think you can have enough good quarterbacks you know if you um you know you have sam if Teddy's here, uh, if there's a good quarterback on the board at eight or somewhere throughout the draft, you can never have enough quarterbacks on the roster, and it's, it'd be a luxury, and then you can always do something later on if you had to. The falling stock of Justin Fields perplexes me here. I haven't really heard a good reason why he's falling. I'm starting to believe this is a media creation. The fact that he's not the new sexy thing We like the new and trendy. Trey Lance, we didn't watch him last year. Zach Wilson, nobody was watching BYU, or at least not as many as watching Justin Fields in Ohio State when we thought it was Lance, or excuse me, Lawrence and Fields, one and two, or maybe 1A, 1B going into last season. So I don't know how much I really buy the rumors of a declining Justin Fields stock. It all depends how Carolina ranks their board how highly they think of fields and lance and if either of those quarterbacks are going to be available at number eight if you think it's crazy for carolina to bring in darnold and still draft a quarterback at number eight let me ask you this question is it crazier than what the green bay packers did last year in drafting jordan love and trading up 
to draft Jordan Love when you already had Aaron Rodgers, who went on to win the MVP? Is it any crazier than that? On Twitter at SportsUpTrying, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. To be clear, I still think offensive line is going to be the pick. Atlanta, they have a ton of first-round draft picks on that offensive line. I don't think that's where they're going to go. If somebody trades into that spot, I don't know if they're trading up for O-line, but I could be wrong considering how many people like Sewell and also Rashawn Slater's stock went up after that Ohio State game last year. Cincinnati, they could go O-line, but is that an organization that's really going to resist pairing Joe Burrow with his favorite college target, Jamar Chase? I don't know. How about Detroit and Miami? With Miami... It's the same thing with the Bengals. You got Tua, his favorite targets in college, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. They might be sitting there for you. Detroit, you already got a starting left tackle. Are you going to draft one of these guys in that spot? I don't know. If either Slater or Sewell are available at number eight, I would be stunned if Carolina went in a different direction. But there is a scenario. None of those guys are available. If Atlanta decides they go offensive line, more likely Detroit and uh, Cincinnati in front of you. You might not get either of those players. And in that spot, who does Carolina take? I think Kyle Pitts would be a terrific pick. I bet you Kyle Pitts is higher up on the board than Fields and Lance in the Panthers' mind. But don't be stunned. If the draft falls in the worst possible way for Carolina which in my opinion would be Detroit and Cincinnati taking offensive linemen and Atlanta being forced to pick at four and equipping Matt Ryan with Kyle Pitts. I would not be shocked if they go quarterback at eight over reaching for one of these corners, Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan. It would not shock me. Then Carolina can figure it out from there, figure out what the future is going to be. Because as Fitz said, you can't ever have too many good quarterbacks. Robert, where do you stand on the conversation, which I think is an age-long debate, drafting for need versus drafting best player available when you're in the top 10? I think you should draft best player available at whether you're drafted the top 10 anywhere in the first round. It should be best player available. Because if you don't, that's how you end up with like a Brashad Perryman. Or you end up with, like last year where the Raiders took David Arnett at 19. When you're drafting it for need, you're probably going to reach on a guy just because that position doesn't have the talent at that place in the draft. And when there's only 16 to 18 terrific, awesome, best prospects available, I think the back half of the drafts where you see more drafting by need than taking the best player on the board. Usually, that's what you find. But would you be absolutely stunned if Carolina took a quarterback at eight? I wouldn't be absolutely stunned. at The only thing that would absolutely stun me is if they were like, you know who we want to spend this eight pick on? Jalen Waddle. We really want Waddle <laughs> on they our went, team. If they went wide receiver, we riot. I, if it was Jamar Chase or, or just as long as it's Waddle would stun Robert me. Is anything out else on Waddle. Anything else would uh, would not stun me. No, I'll say this: I'd be stunned if they went wide receiver. You would not. I'd be stunned. 
Did you know I was a Blitnikoff voter, Robert? I did. I did know that. Right. I love both Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase. Carolina, we take to the streets and riot if they go wide receiver at number eight. As I mentioned, the Masters is underway. The 2021 Masters at Augusta National. And in terms of rooting interest I have for this tournament, I have three guys I'm rooting for and three that I'm rooting against. The ones that I'm rooting for starts with the Wake Forest Demon Deacon Webb Simpson, who's had himself a first round today. Looking at the leaderboard, Webb started out really hot, got to Ford under par. As he gets set to close things out, he's at two under currently. The golf course playing very difficult right now. It played incredibly soft in uh, November. It's a lot more difficult playing in the month of April. I think we're seeing that with the scores currently. I'm rooting for Wes or uh, for Webb Simpson first and foremost. Top ten finish in the fall. Top five when Tiger won two years ago. His short stick looking really good. Uh, Lee Westwood obviously I think would be the best story if he were to win. But five over par here in the first round. That's not going to do you any favors. He'd be the oldest guy to win the Masters at 47. He turns 48 later this month. The oldest was Jack 35 years ago in 86, that classic Masters he won at 46. But what makes his story so cool, Westwood, he's come so close, he hasn't gotten that elusive major yet, and his 19-year-old son Sam is carrying his bag this week, the first time Sam is working with Lee at the Masters. Then there's Rory McIlroy, who also has had a really difficult opening round at Augusta, five over as of right now. He still has a few more holes remaining. He's looking to complete the career Grand Slam. Close friend with Tiger. He was talking about Tiger, as many are this week, missing him, wishing he could be at the Champions Dinner, wishing he could compete, obviously, after his accident uh, last month. Rory talking about the career slam and what majors mean relative to other tournaments on the PGA Tour said something very interesting this week, a story of him visiting Tiger recently. You know, I went over to Tiger's house a few weeks ago to see him, and in his family room, he's got his trophy cabinet, and it's his 15 major trophies. And I said, that's really cool. Where are all the others? And he said, I don't know. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, my mom has some, and, you know, if you're in the office and if you're wherever. So then I went, I was driving home, and I was thinking, I mean, he talked that, right? He, that's all he cared about, all he cared about. So how easy must that have felt for him to win all the others? And I, that, that was just always in my mind. It's not much different than what Brooks Kepka said, how he values majors versus uh, other tournaments on the PGA Tour. It's just Rory McIlroy and Tiger have won a lot more that they can just blow off other events and it not seem cocky. So I'm rooting for Rory. I'm I'm rooting for Westwood, even though both those guys have gotten off to a rough start, so rough that I feel pretty confident saying they're not going to win. Webb Simpson, even though he's not finishing so strong, started things off well. He's going to be in the mix. Rooting for Webb. 
The guys I'm rooting against, it starts with Kepka. Just because, eh, some like that swagger. I, I don't think he's accomplished enough to warrant that swagger. Bryson DeChambeau. Some like the bro vibe. I'm not about it. VJ Singh looking at Bryson Swing earlier this week, I think is a lot of us watching Bryson try to take over the sport. I do think he has a better shot at winning this month than he did in November, but we'll see how that shapes out. Then there's Dustin Johnson. And this isn't a shot at DJ, who is a South Carolina guy, went to uh, Coastal Carolina. Ah, it's just a boring brand of golf. It's a boring brand of golf. He's not really the most personable guy. That's not the guy I want to see win a second consecutive green jacket in the span of five months, something that hasn't happened since Tiger did so in 2001-2002. So give me Webb. Let's make that happen. Please don't let Kepka, Bryson, or DJ win it. We'll talk golf. More Masters with uh, our friend Chip Patterson from CBS Sports at the bottom of the hour. Ding, ding, boys. School's in session. Let's go, man. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Before last month, the last time App State made the NCAA tournament, our next guest was the quarterback of the Mountaineers in 2000, and his starting left tackle was App State's current coach, Sean Clark. It's NFL Network's lead draft analyst from the Move the Sticks podcast, Daniel Jeremiah, joining us now. DJ, since we've been the radio home for Mountaineer football and the triad for a while, I always love talking app before we get to the draft when you join us. I'm looking at the schedule right now. And here's what's coming out of the gate for the Mountaineers. East Carolina and Charlotte, at Miami, then Elon and Marshall at the Rock. That's not an easy schedule. Well, we're not scared of anybody. You know that. I mean, we're going to get the Pirates to start things off. I feel comfortable about that one. Uh, The Hurricanes just lost their whole defensive line, and uh, so I feel a little bit uh, better about that. And the Thundering Herd, I mean, look, they, they uh, played a real physical, tough game against us last year. We probably played our worst game of the year. That's not going to happen again. So I, I, I don't see any losses here. I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, you know, I'm just a happy alum. I just I don't see us losing any see, of those. Come see, on, let's go. See, Robert he and I, we're both East Carolina grads. When you were in Boone, gosh, ECU was all fired up with David Garrard and oh, Steve yeah. Logan. This should be a series that's played every year. Like all these other schools in the state, they probably lean basketball before football. I know Bucky Brooks probably wanted to agree with that. But, uh, I mean, ECU, App State, those are football schools, man. This is a game that needs to happen regularly, I think. Yeah, I don't know why it hasn't. Since since App moved up, that seems like a, a natural one. And um, it's a great opportunity in the postgame to be able to get some of the best barbecue on the planet. So that, that to me, is a... Uh, <laughs> That's a no-brainer on App State's side. As I mentioned, listen to the Move the Sticks podcast where you're doing it with former Tar Heel Bucky Brooks. He's your uh, uh, partner in crime. And while I'm sure you've just been inundated with all things 2021 draft, I know you were looking at North Carolina's Pro Day. Steve Smith was out there from the network. What are you hearing in scouting and coaching circles in relation to Sam Howe as he gets set for a very important year in Chapel Hill? Well, the expectation is he's uh, 
you know, he's going to be one of the top quarterback prospects, if not the top guy coming into next year. So I haven't done him yet. Um, but there is, uh, you know, there is the name that comes up more than any others is his when we start looking forward to next year's draft class. So, um, there's a lot of buzz and I know I've got some buddies on that coaching staff that, that say he's just, you know, from an intangible standpoint, a great kid, um, losing a lot of weapons, obviously this year into the draft with Amy Brown and those two backs. Um, but somebody I'm really looking forward to watching. Where do you stand on picking for need versus picking best player available in the top 10. I'm I, I, I'm interested in what you think in relation to the Panthers who are picking at eight. And Scott Fitterer, when we caught up with him earlier in the week, he said just because we brought in Sam Darnold doesn't mean we're ruling out quarterback at number eight. What do you think? I, I will uh, I'll call Scott's bluff on that one and say I don't think that they're going to be looking at a quarterback. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Um, but to me, I think when you bring in Sam and they parted with, you know, not a huge haul, but enough uh, there to me that it points to them giving him a shot to build around him. And that is a big asset uh, they have in place there with the eighth overall pick. And so uh, to me, that would be uh, uh, that would be a great spot for an offensive lineman, you know, be it a Panay Sewell or a Rashawn Slater, whichever order you have those guys. Uh, that would make a lot of sense, and maybe you uh, cross your fingers and toes and get lucky that Kyle Pitts somehow falls there. You have the Panthers taking Slater over Panay Sewell with the number eight pick post Darnold trade. You put that out there. Why? Well, I've always had him over Sewell, so he's been my number one lineman from start to finish, and. You know, I think some people, you know, through the process, and, and I think it's some teams feel this way as well, have been like, okay, well, Slater has to play guard. And I don't see it that way. I, I see him as a tackle, and I've seen him go up against elite-level competition, you know, starting with Chase Young and everybody else in that conference. And I've seen him hold up and play really well. And I think some people thought, okay, well, Sewell is just a ginormous human being, and he's just so much more explosive. And I look at the numbers, and I'm like, well, wait a second. Sewell's six four and seven eight. Slater's six four and a quarter. Uh, so less than an inch that separates them there. Arm length wise, Slater's thirty three inches. Sewell's thirty three and a quarter. And and Slater's stronger, and he's more explosive. He ran a four eight eight versus a five oh nine. Jumped thirty three inches versus twenty eight inches. He's a better athlete. So um, I, I think the tape is better, and I think that the testing from an athletic standpoint was better as well. So. I've been riding with Slater from start to finish. It's Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network, lead draft analyst, the draft coming up later this month. What's the best explanation you've heard for why Justin Fields' stock seems to be falling? Well, you know, again, I always always tell people that there's really no such thing as rising and falling because it's just in the media. What, What the teams have, it could be completely different and might not be moving at all. I can only speak from my personal perspective is that, you know, when the season ended and I had evaluated all four quarterbacks, uh, all five quarterbacks, if you want to put Mac Jones in there, um, I put out my first list in, uh, in January and it hadn't changed. So I, I've always had uh, Lawrence one. I've had Zach Wilson two. I've had Trey Lance three. I've had Fields four and, and uh, Mac Jones five. So, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed at all for me. I like Fields a lot. I think I think there's four players worthy of going in the top ten, and and he's the fourth guy for me. But uh, you know that's why I'm always a little bit 
I push back a little bit when people say, oh, he's rising or he's falling. And I'm like, well, you know, that the teams is a little bit different than maybe what, what the agenda gets driven in the media. What concerns you the most about Fields as a prospect? Well, to me, there's so much to be excited about, and the upside is huge. I, I think there's times he just holds on to the ball. I want to see him be a little bit more urgent and decisive, um, probably more than anything else. And there's been times when, um, under pressure, I think he tries to do a little bit too much, which, again, can factor in some of the decision-making. So um, those would be the, the issues. But that being said, I think he's my eighth overall player. So I, I think he's got a chance to be a dynamic player at the next level. I just think when I compare him with a guy like Trey Lance, I see you know Trey is, is also a phenomenal athlete with that big frame, and I just thought he was a better decision-maker and played with a little bit more urgency. Daniel Jeremiah with us here. Move the Sticks podcast, NFL Network. Two Wake prospects I'm intrigued with your take on. Boogie Basham, who we talked about a year ago, you saying you were yeah. surprised he didn't come out a year ago. And Jamie Newman, who opted out uh, of last season after transferring out of Wake to go to the University of Georgia. At what point of the draft can you see either player taken? I think Boogie's going to go probably early to mid-second round. Uh, seems to be kind of the consensus of the teams that I talk to and, and where I have him. Um, again, kind of that inside-outside versatility, a little bit of a tweener, but uh, it's somebody that's got a lot of pass rush production and, and plays really, really hard. So to me, I put him in the second round. And then, you know, with the quarterback, to me, I go, gosh, he's I'm, I'm not as high on Jamie, so he's more of like a sixth, seventh-round pick for me um maybe some teams feel a little bit higher uh on him than that but uh yeah this year probably cost him i think going to the senior bowl and not really having a very good week down there um probably didn't help like you our producer robert he follows the draft all throughout the year and the draft's his favorite event so i know he's just bursting at the seams wanting to get a question in here <laughs> get what's the best question you got for dj right now robert uh, I am a Ravens fan, so I guess I'll be a little bit of a homer here. Uh, all offseason, the whole talk has been that the Ravens need to find this X receiver, whether it's Rashad Bateman, yeah. Terrence Marshall. But when I watch the games, the guys that I find myself infatuated with are Elijah Moore or Tylen Moore or uh, Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma yeah. State. Do you think that the Ravens are married to that big body receiver, or that they would go with a receiver no matter their body size, despite having players like that? I, you know, Coach Billick used to always say, you know, we talk about receiving group being a basketball team. And I will be very surprised if they go and draft a point guard in this draft. Uh, I, I think there is a real, real focus. I don't think that's, uh, I don't, I don't think that's hyperbole. I think there is definitely a focus for them to try and find some more size at the position. So, uh, yeah, even though there's some really good uh, smaller receivers in this draft class, um, after you know going Marquise Brown in 2019, who's I, I like as a player a lot, I, I do think they're trying to find a bigger guy. I, I vote for the Bolitnikov, and I'll tell you what, Tylen Wallace, one of my five favorite college receivers, doesn't mean he's going to translate, but man, I loved yeah. watching him at Oklahoma State. Tough kid, he plays a lot bigger than his size. Oh no doubt. Let's close with this. I always hear there's a special relationship between quarterback and offensive lineman, specifically the left tackle. What's the best Sean Clark story you can share with me? Oh, Clarky. Um, golly, I don't know if I can share any of those. Oh, come on. Um, but I, I will say, like, I, the, the, my favorite picture that I have 
um, is of the touchdown against Wake. And um, it's literally me <laughs> me resting on top of Sean um, and ho- holding the ball across the line there. So, I, I, you know, I guess I could give him grief that, uh, you know, basically the most famous picture from our era together there at App State is me using him as a stepping stool. Um, uh, that, that would probably be about as mean as I can get about Sean because he's just too nice of a guy. That's a good point. Well, DJ, keep up the great work with what you're doing. Move the Sticks podcast and also NFL Network. And I'm sure we'll be catching up somewhere down the line. Good luck with the draft, man. I appreciate it, guys. Have a great week. Got it. There he goes. Daniel Jeremiah. So what wide receiver do you want the uh, the Ravens to take there? Uh, it's not so much about what I want. I would be cool with Bateman or Marshall, but it's just like when I watch these little guys, like you talked about Wallace or uh, Moore out of Ole Miss, they're just a lot more fun to watch. They are. So I, I get it. I get they want to build this basketball team, like he said, but it makes a lot of sense that uh, – Bateman and Marshall are popular uh, picks for the Ravens at the end of the first round. How much did you appreciate the humble brag there at the end? Oh, the Bolitnikov war? It was more of a... I had to work... As soon as you started asking about the wide receivers, it's now become such a bit where it's like, well, you know, uh, because no one really cares about the Bolitnikov award. No one really does. I know they're probably listening to me say that. I love you guys. But anyway, like, it's just something you kind of throw in there. What you, is the you knew it had to happen. Of the year award. The fullback. There's a fullback of the year award. There has to be. I there's there are some joke ones out there. Like you got the Piesman, where they give it to the best big guy who scored a touchdown during the season. There's the punter, which is, is a legit one. And then you got the holder. There's the best holder award. If there's a holder award, there's a fullback award. There's that's what you if I was you that's what you should be trying to get is the the fullback voter award that would be the best yeah I'd love that I'd love to do like a full segment just breaking down fullbacks I'm sure people would be down with that turn it up they came to see us let's go back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. <laughs> Robert, what should I get to first? OJ Simpson posting on his Twitter account some takes on Sam Darnold and Teddy Bridgewater? Or Ed and Winston-Salem with some inside information on Walker Kessler? Uh, Let's see what Ed's talking about. All right. Ed, what do you got for me on Walker Kessler? Well, I probably don't have any more information uh, than you do, but... uh... Supposedly, uh, his uncle played at uh, Georgia along with his father and dad. Um, right. Are supposedly real good friends, and I know supposedly that uh, Hubert has made a couple of uh, phone calls and a lot of speculation that uh, Kessler, if he wouldn't come back to Carolina, Gonzaga would be his first choice, but I cannot see that because in all likelihood, it looks like Timmy may be back. They've got another... Uh, top 50 power forward coming in um they've got their backup power forward coming in, coming in and uh the number one pick is seven feet tall or the number one prospect according to 24 yeah, 7 yeah that, that's what i was getting ready next uh holgram uh, yeah. yes and caroline so I, I i can't see it and i don't know why he would even consider auburn i know that was one of his top uh picks along with carolina and duke but they're gonna they're gonna get the hammer here pretty soon just like uh 
Kansas and Arizona. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks for the call, Ed. The question is, will Walker return to Chapel Hill? If you do follow Transfer Portal rumors, Walker's been linked, as Ed said, to Bruce Pearl and Auburn. I don't know if I think we're anywhere close to punishment being handed down. We haven't seen it for the last four years now, closing in on five. How mad would Ed be if he went to Duke? I think most Tar Heel fans (laughs) would lose it if he ended up at Duke. But I don't see that happening with Coleman there and they got Banchero coming in. Gonzaga does have a seven-footer who's the number one player in the country in the next class. I expect Kispert's still going to go pro. Timmy, it's kind of a question, but I think there's enough intrigue in the NBA with Timmy, given the larger sample versus how he played on Monday night, that would probably lean him going pro. But um, Hubert Davis, he was very public, putting North Carolina back in the mix when he said this at his introductory press conference earlier in the week. Kessler's a Carolina guy. I had a conversation. I sent him a text last night after everything came out um, that I was going to be the next head coach, and I have a phone call with him later today. And what I'm going to tell him is I want him back here at Carolina. He's a Tar Heel. He's always a Tar Heel. He needs to come back here, and this is the right place for him. We would love to have Walker Kessler and his family back in Chapel Hill and back at UNC. He's always a Tar Heel, huh? Until he chooses not to be. But I do agree with Hubert that there probably isn't a better place for Walker to be. With all due respect to Auburn and Gonzaga, the best place for Walker is North Carolina. Coaches, they don't understand this at all. They feel like there's something not being told with this story, that Walker's going to choose to leave a blue blood. Nobody leaves North Carolina. I have to believe it's at least a part of the reason why Roy Williams chose to retire. But now Roy's not there anymore. And the issues that Walker might have had with Roy about the way they want to use Walker, there was that discussion that apparently Walker's family thought he was going to be used like a Luke May, which doesn't really make much sense since Luke is an undersized stretch four while Kessler is a seven-footer. Hubert, he's made it pretty clear He's going to use him differently than Roy did. B-Rob, he joined us on the show a couple of days ago, said what he expects to be different, more fours and five shooting threes. Then Hubert was talking to Alfonso Ellis. Ellis joked that he had eligibility left. By the way, can we stop making that joke? What's a more outdated joke that coaches make or that media makes when they talk to coaches? Anytime you bring on a coach and say you have extra eligibility remaining or when a coach on signing day says, if you don't think I'm a good recruiter, look at my wife. You hear that one a lot. I remember Will Healy. I called him on it. Look at my wife. I'm like, your wife is a very very attractive woman. That line has been used by 21 million coaches. And they ain't all got pretty wives. (laughs) you said it not me there it's worth shooting your shot a year ago robert remember we had steve forbes on and forbes made it clear hey we're gonna go after olivier why would you leave wake forest to get a degree like a place uh, at a place like kentucky you know what happened the next day 
he committed to Kentucky. So I wouldn't read that much into Hubert saying what he said a couple of days ago. He wouldn't put himself on the line like that unless he knew he had a shot. Sure he would. And you probably forget about it when North Carolina brings in someone else in the transfer portal. I wouldn't say North Carolina's a favorite, but they have to be looked at differently considering what we know about Hubert and how he's going to want to use bigs differently. Uh, Walker Kessler, he'll be the focal point of the offense. No Dayron anymore. Uh, I think he's a bigger matchup problem than Armando Baycott is. Armando. And he, he will have priority over Garrison Brooks. You can't really cite minutes played when you're talking about Walker's story because it doesn't tell the whole story. It was a COVID year. He had two... 14-day quarantines without even testing positive. It was contact tracing situations that really set him back. He started getting minutes towards the end of the year, played 20 minutes against Florida State, and he was great in that ball game. But he had down points too. Didn't belong on the floor against Syracuse because he didn't know what to do against the zone, which is normal for freshmen who haven't played that many minutes. But now he's going to be a focal point going into next year. And there's a reason why you commit to North Carolina you're sold on the experience. You're sold on the crowd. You're sold on the Smith Center full. He never really got that experience. So if there is validity to a big part of the reason why you wanted to go to Chapel Hill is this idea of the North Carolina basketball experience, well, you can still get that. You can get that this year in a way that you weren't able to this past year. So I do think there's a shot, but I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into what Hubert said, other than they're still going to pursue Walker when I don't think if Roy was still in place, he would do that after Walker entered the portal. Let's hear from OJ Simpson. This is according to his Twitter account. We don't have the full video, so I think this is going to be excluding, hey, Twitter world, but he had some thoughts on the Carolina Panthers quarterback situation going on you know i am so happy for sam darnold that he got away from the jets you know uh he got no help from that head coach they had and uh they didn't have a plethora of skilled position players but down with uh carolina uh, with the panthers geez you know he uh reteams up with uh, uh uh robbie anderson a guy he had some success with with the uh, with the jets and uh uh dj moore fine young receiver and of course the great Christian McCaffrey. So uh, I'm happy for him. I feel a little bad for Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's a starter in this league, and uh, looks like he has to go elsewhere if he's going to start. And uh, I would look at Houston if I was him, because what's going on with Deshaun Watson? Uh, he may not be available to those guys. Now, I'm a big fan of Deshaun. Uh, uh, the man has always had a sterling reputation, and I'm a guy that know what accusations could do to your reputation. Of course. OJ is a big Deshaun Watson fan right now. I'd say that's a killer take by OJ, wouldn't you? How about that from the juice? Yeah, that's not bad. I I guess he's worried that Carolina is going to stab Teddy in the back. <laughs> uh, Yeah, it does sound like it's OJ's concern. OJ! How has somebody not decided to hire that guy to do a sports talk radio show? Like, they bring back that Craig Carton guy in New York after he went to jail, went to prison for years. 
How, how is somebody not said we're we're just going to take the heat? We're going to bring OJ on, and we're going to have him do a shot. You probably have to have somebody with him to run it, you know, because he's probably just going to talk. Oh yeah, and talk. Mm-hmm. And you have to get someone to sit next to him. Six feet of difference. Six feet social distancing. And it has nothing to do with COVID. Why you want to do that. I'll tell you my master's pick. And CBSSports.com's Chip Patterson will share his as well. Next on The Drive. What the hell is this show? Why does everybody keep talking about it? You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Here in the first round of the 2021 Masters, the Englishman Justin Rose stands alone at the top of the leaderboard and just a few moments ago opened up a two-shot lead, birdieing the par 5 15th hole. So now he's getting set for maybe my most favorite hole in the course, number 16. Webb Simpson had some difficulty with that earlier today, knocking one in the drink, now being joined Live from Augusta, Mark Brazel, the tournament director of the Wyndham, now joins us here. How many pimento cheese sandwiches have you had down there? Only one so far, Josh. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's good to hear from you. It doesn't feel it looks normal on television. Certainly a lot more normal than what we saw in November. Does it feel normal to you at all being there? Well, it feels normal that we're in, you know, April, this first full week in April and um the weather's been been good so far and golf courses um as as it's been talked about it's really hard and the greens are hard and fast fairways are as well and so um you know i think that's almost like a, a defense mechanism for to try to tame these guys as much as possible um but no it feels pretty good you know i mean obviously this has been a a tough tough uh 13 14 months for everybody and and it is awfully nice to to see, you know, people out at the tournament. I was out there yesterday. I'll be back out there tomorrow. Um, just enjoying the the Masters the, the way it's supposed to be enjoyed. If rain does hit Augusta in the next few hours, I'm looking at the forecast. They're calling for 60%, 70% chance of rain. Do you expect there to be lower scores tomorrow? I'd say that's. I'd say that's uh, kind of up to Augusta, really. You know, they they have those um, those uh, the machines or whatever they're called underneath the greens where they can pretty much dry the greens out or put moisture into them or whatever they want to. So, um, I think they can they can kind of adjust the the speed of the greens and the the dryness. Now, the hardness might be a little bit more difficult, but um, if they get a lot of rain, uh, it, it could probably be a little bit more you know, target golf. But right now, as you've seen, um, ball comes in there pretty hot and hits, makes, it takes a pretty big bounce. That first, that first bounce, like you just saw it, just Thomas on number 12, he hit a great shot in there and it took a pretty large bank, uh, bounce, um, past the, uh, past the hole to the back of the green. Mark Brazel, tournament director of the Wyndham championship with us here from Augusta national. How optimistic now that you're seeing how things are running at this golf course and there are patrons and all, even while wearing masks, how optimistic yeah. are you for a more normal feeling Wyndham championship in a few months? You know, um, 
I would say I'm I'm incredibly optimistic, to be honest with you. Uh, there is always a little bit of caution there. However, um, the only caution I have is just um, hopefully we'll that that we will be able to you know have this vaccine kind of outrun the the variants and um, what we've been you know hearing from CDC and and the experts. So, um, but I, I feel like you know if we got four million five million shots going into arms. Uh, vaccination shots, which I hope everybody's going to get theirs. Um, I think we're going to be in a lot better spot by August. I'm, I'm certainly happy that we're not running a tournament in April or May, but um, I think by August, I think everybody's going to be a lot more confident and, and, and optimistic. We saw NFL commissioner Roger Goodell say he hopes to have stadiums at full capacity by the time the season starts. Given that your sport is outdoors and these courses are so spacious, especially yours, at Sedgefield, does it give you confidence that maybe you can sell tickets at full capacity? You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that we're we're going to go full capacity on tickets, but I, I, I'm kind of feeling pretty pretty good about 50 percent, maybe even 70 percent. So that would be, you know, that'd be a home run for us, I think. And and um, you know, if we can go more, we'll go more. But um, you know, we we've got to we'll, we'll be dealing with the state on that, and as well as the PGA Tour. And um, so far, we've been working with both of them every week, and um, we'll just see where where we land. But we still got a lot of time for that. But we do have to, we do kind of have to figure out our plans. So I, I would say that um, from our plans right now are probably to you know run this tournament with the idea that we'll have somewhere between fifteen to twenty thousand fans a day. What storyline are you most interested in on the golf course this week? Um, well, the storyline that, that I enjoy the most, just because I've got a bunch of good friends out there on the PGA tour, especially guys like, um, you know, Webb Simpson, and I'm looking at the leaderboard and Brian Harmon's a good, good friend. He won, won our AJJ event twice. Um, we've got, uh, Henrik Stenson, some of our, uh, Siwoo Kim, some of our past champions that are kind of, you know, on the leaderboard, um, that's always nice to see, uh, Patrick Reed as well. But it's just you know you always like to see a, a close Masters and a real shootout. Uh, you don't you don't ever want to see you know someone kind of run and hide with it. I, I love to watch. A, I love watching the Masters on Saturday and Sunday for sure. How much is Webb kicking himself after sixteen today? You know, probably you know he he might be kicking himself, but at the end of the day, I mean it's. If you would have told Webb that he was going to be two under par, and um, you know, right there at at tied for fourth after the first round, I think he probably would have taken that. So, um, you know, you, you're going to win some, you lose some. He he had a really good round of golf, and and you know, one one bad hole doesn't doesn't crush his hopes for for tomorrow. So, I think he's got to feel pretty good about his about where he is right now. Tournament director of the Wyndham Championship, Mark Brazels, with us here at, uh, from Augusta National. First round action of the Masters today. The Masters is my favorite of the majors. Uh, I know they're just there's something about the Masters that's different than the U.S. Open, than the uh, the the other majors that you're going to find as well, the British uh, and, and the PGA. Uh, what what is it that makes the Masters in your mind a different major? than the others aside from the fact it's always at one place well you know that one place happens to be one of the greatest golf courses in the world um 
Augusta National. Um, the history, the incredible list of champions, uh, the beauty of it all in April at, at Augusta. Um, and again, I think that, you know, it is fun to go to watch, um, the other three majors, uh, you know, have a, have a, uh, cycle and, and of, of, of venues. Um, but at the end of the day, you always think about, God, I can't wait for kind of the start of the, of the, of the professional golf, which really every year kind of starts right here with this major. And I'm sure it's a, for NASCAR fans, it equates to Daytona. But, you know, the Masters is, is, is our Daytona. Yeah. I, uh, last year, even though fans weren't allowed, uh, just, it was really neat, uh, having a ton of, uh, golf fans who listened to this show calling me and calling the show saying, Hey, we have, we have a house right off the golf course. You should just come, come by and hang out for the Wyndham. And it was a unique way to watch last year, but, it just has me so excited for something looking some resemblance of normal with the Wyndham Championship coming up later this year. We look forward to being a part of it some way, somehow. It's been a busy day for you, I'm sure, and I appreciate you uh, squeezing in the time for us, Mark. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you, buddy. You got it. There he goes. It's the Wyndham Championships Tournament Director Mark Brazel joining us today.